We're gonna start with a little story time today. This is a uh, loose history, let's call it, taken from actual historical documents, true events, actual history books, and also a little bit from a book by much-loved children's book author, Tommy DePaola. You might recognize that name from Streganona, which is his best work, in my opinion. So a long time ago, there was a baby born to a very wealthy family. They named him Francis. Actually, they named him John, but his dad didn't think that was fancy enough, so he changed his son's name to Francis in honor of his mother's French heritage. As Francis grew up, he lived a life of excess. He was known in his small town for hanging out with his friends and rabble-rousing, eating and drinking and having a good time. He served in the army, and after being captured and held prisoner for over a year, his return home found him very out of sorts. His father decided to help him out and gave him a fancy new horse and a beautiful suit of armor, hoping his son would become a famous knight. It would give the family such a good name if this were the case. But Francis, having been changed by his time in captivity, decided to give the horse and armor away, and his father was furious. Fearing his father's wrath, Francis fled to the hills around his town and there encountered the poor and ill. And he found himself often in prayer as he wandered. One day as he was wandering around the hills, he found this tiny church that was falling apart. And on entering, he felt a sense of peace he had never felt before. He prayed for God to show him what he should do. As he sat there, he said, what do you want of me? The Lord answered Francis, saying, rebuild my church. It is falling down. This was the moment that Francis's life changed for forever. He began to give away everything he had to the church, selling his possessions and any money he had in order to follow what God had told him to do. His father, enraged at his money being used in this way, brought him to the bishop to hear the case. His father listed all the things his son had done, all the things he had taken or sold or used for the work of God. And the bishop asked Francis, well, what do you want? Francis said, I want only to serve God. The bishop told Francis then to give the money he had taken back to his father, that God's work would not be advanced with money unjustly gained. In maybe my favorite part of this story, Francis then stood up and said, deal, and he took off all his clothes, and he told his dad to take back everything he'd ever been given, and right there in the middle of this bishop's chamber, he stood naked and renounced his inheritance and everything that went along with it. Such a funny story. The bishop was so embarrassed, he covered him with his own cloak. <laughs> Francis renounced his inheritance and began to follow a different way. Today's gospel might have been a story about this same Francis, but for a different end, right? 
Today's Gospels may be a much more familiar story than the one I just told you. Unlike that one, this young man in this morning's Gospel story is instructed to sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor, and he chooses something different. My whole life, I've been hearing sermons about this story, about how this young man loved his money more than God and he couldn't let it go. And so the moral was that we all had something we loved as much as this man loved his money, just as Paul said, it's not really about, it's not about us, right? It's about that guy. We don't love our money like that, but we like something like that, right? So we are probably supposed to let go of something. Not our money, though. That's for that guy. It was kind of a, an upper-middle-class, churchy people loophole. No, no, no. Jesus isn't saying give away all your money. Jesus is saying give away your money to that guy. I've heard that sermon. Heck, I've probably preached that sermon. It's a way to make such a hard word more palatable. But this text is hard to ignore. As Paul said, it's in all three gospel stories. Over and over again in scripture, Jesus cautions us about what place we put money in our lives. You cannot love God and money, he says. My favorite author, priest, professor, theologian, Barbara Brown Taylor says, it seems to me that Christians mangle this story in at least two ways. First, by acting as if it were not about money, and second, by acting as if it were only about money. There is a third way to read this, that is, to read it as more. So this morning we're going to try. Jesus comes across the man in today's story, a man who's truly, truly living his best life now. He is wealthy, apparently very good at God's stuff, following all the rules since his youth. And yet he has a question for Jesus. He wants to know how he can gain eternal life. Listen, you cannot blame this guy for that question. He is living the good life, and he just wants to make sure it will continue for eternity. He wants some kind of holy God stamp, some guarantee that he is doing enough. He is enough. Jesus looks at him, Mark's gospel said, and loves him. And then says, you just need to do one more thing. Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Then come and follow me. Which, those of you stick out for details, might note is more than one thing, but that's fine, Jesus. It's not the point. Jesus is asking this wealthy man not just to walk away from all his things, but to give them to other people. That's a hard ask. These people might not have worked as hard. They might not have been as good at the God stuff, right? Wealth in this time was seen as proof of God's favor. So this guy was obviously doing something right to have gained so much wealth. Now poor people had obviously been doing something wrong in order to be where they were. So Jesus says this guy has to give all of his things to the poor. It is a one-two punch. What this man had considered his best asset and proof of God's favor, Jesus called a liability. What a blow. And it causes some big feelings in the man at Jesus' feet. The word used here that is translated as 
he was grieved or sad in some translations is stugnazo. It's a great word. And if you do some nerdy work, which I have done for you, being the nerd in the room here about Greek, it's only used two times in the whole New Testament. So that's interesting in and of itself. Once here translated as sad or grieved, and the other time it's a word that means a threatening looking cloud covered sky. Isn't that interesting? I know not everybody's gonna think that's as interesting as I do, but that's why I'm here. These two definitions are not the same at all. That's so fascinating. So what are we missing in this word if we translate it as sad? Well, it turns out that maybe a better definition when you know how it's used in both ways is something more like tumultuous or turmoil. In this case, it's not just that the man got sad because he loved his stuff so much. It's that Jesus pointing out that an identity found in owning things, in owning people, was incompatible with the identity of someone who follows Jesus. And pointing that out caused an inner turmoil. It caused tumultuousness inside this guy. Who am I if not the rich guy, he's thinking. So yes, this is about money. And again, it's not just about money. Barbara Brown Taylor says it's a dare, a dare for him to become a new creature, defined in a new way, to trade in all the words that have described him up until now, wealthy, committed, cultured, responsible, educated, powerful, obedient, to trade them all in on one radically different word, which is free. You see, thinking, him, thinking of him as just a guy who loved his stuff makes it really easy to distance ourselves from him in this story. We're not like that guy. When we think of wealth or stuff or health or happiness as a sign of God's favor or blessings, then we are actually, yes, just like this guy, running to the feet of Jesus asking what else there is we can do. I think we are a lot like this guy. We find ourselves regularly at the feet of Jesus saying things like, but I did it the right way. Why did it happen? I've been doing what you said I should do. I've been praying the way I was taught. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm really good at the God stuff. So what else is there for me to do? Tell me and I'll add it to the list, Jesus. Tell me so I can have my best life now and lean in and wash my face and grind and hustle and work hard and play hard my way into your good graces. Listen, everybody, I could keep going. I am really good at this. If there were something I could do or a formula I could follow, trust me, I would have figured it out by now. Lists are kind of my thing. The man was doing all the right things. Look what he had to show for it. And Jesus says, with love in his gaze, it still doesn't look like what you think it does. And just like with the man in this story, Jesus looks at us, loves us, and offers us a different way. When Barbara Brown Taylor says the word is free, that we trade all those other labels in, she adds, the catch is, you cannot be otherwise engaged. To receive this gift, 
You cannot be tied up right now or too tied down to respond. You cannot accept God's gift if you have no spare hands to take it with. You cannot make room for it if all your rooms are already full. You cannot follow if you are not free to go. I know, I know, the children, the mortgage, the aging parents, the doctor's bill, the economy, the future, I know it's the same for me. There are days when threading a camel seems easier than following Jesus. My absolute favorite part of this story is when the disciples ask the question we all have. Well, if it's so hard, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, no one. That's the whole point, you guys. The whole point of the story. It's a reminder that we are just over here trying to share, save, spend, hustle, grind our way into salvation. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you can't do it. You can't do anything about your salvation. Only God can. Here is this freedom that Taylor talks about. Because remembering this, feeling it deep in your bones, does indeed truly set you free. I know that when you hear there's nothing you can do, some of you might feel like, well, then I'm doing nothing. Okay, cool. And you just dive into nihilism and that's it. There's nothing we can do. Everything's awful. Here we go. Or we can stop trying so hard and take a break and feel the freedom of knowing you are loved as you are. See, the truth of this story is that it doesn't change God's relationship to you, but it does change your relationship to others and to the world. When we stop needing to run to the feet of Jesus constantly to say, am I good? Am I enough? Have I done enough? Did I do it? Am I good enough? When we stop doing that, we get free. Because we run to the feet and we ask these questions and Jesus says, no, you can't do enough. You won't do enough. If it's up to you and what you can do, you will never do enough. Let God handle this part. With God, all things are possible. There are things you can't do. I get how hard of a thing this is to hear for people in a culture like ours who says you can do anything and be anything if you just work hard and believe in yourself. But this one, Jesus says, this one thing you can't do, but I can. I will. So then, what Jesus asks this man to do isn't quite what it seems, is it? And how the man responds isn't quite what it seems either, because he doesn't choose his wealth or choose his stuff. He has a crisis of character, and he walks away filled with turmoil. Not because he doesn't know what to do, but because he thought he was already doing it. Of course, his mind is blown. Of course, he walks away like a storm cloud. He walks away wondering what it looks like to live a life detached from what you have and instead live a life grounded in who you are, in who God has claimed you to be. And I believe, truly, I believe this is not the end of this guy's story. It's just the beginning. It's the start of his 
freedom. So we go back to Francis, who we started with. I know you were wondering. Francis had a few of these moments where he angered his father by disconnecting from the identity and place his wealth, his wealth had given him. And then one day he just did it. He gave everything away, and Francis spent the remainder of his life married to what he says, married to lady poverty. He is known and remembered for doing just what God asked him to do in that tiny church of disrepair. He begged and worked, and he rebuilt it brick by brick. And then he did it again to a handful of other small churches in his area. His way of life attracted many others, and together their movement grew and grew until it was blessed by the Pope, and they lived this simple life, preaching and teaching others to do the same. He is remembered for his peaceful spirit, his simple way of life, his care for all creatures, and for his hometown of Assisi in Italy. October 4th, this past week, we celebrate the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. And so to end our morning this morning, I want to pray his prayer, although Lore says he prayed this prayer daily. Of course, many scholars have ruined it for us and said this is wildly untrue, but this prayer is still attributed to him, So even if it was unlikely to have been written by him, but we know it this day as the prayer of St. Francis. It embodies this way of life being grounded in who God has named you to be and released from the stuff of this life that tells us who we are. So this is the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine God, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So maybe some of you are feeling a little inner turmoil this morning after hearing this hard word from Jesus telling us to look closely at the things in our life that we hold so tightly to, our schedules, our security, our possessions, reminding that our identity is not found in these things, but instead that you are named, claimed, a beloved child of God. That is who you are. So we take that that identity with us into the world. We take that identity with us into a world that is always telling us something very different. And instead, Jesus says, stop, stop, stop. Take a breath. You are enough. You are loved. And we take our focus off of ourselves and bring it out into the world that needs to hear, you are enough. 
You are loved just as you are. So do we take this good news we have heard this morning with us as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.